You're listening to Rob and Slim Interviews with Rob. Sports, am I right? And Slim. What about politics? Internet Radio's finest. Rob and Slim Show. Hello, is this Rob? This is Rob, and Slim's on the other side. What's going on, man? This is Dan. Oh wait, hold on. We got the uh, we got the other call. Give me one second. Here he is right now. Yeah, we got it. I hit add. Ken, you there? Uh, Slim. I definitely hit the add the group. Anybody here? Hello. Hi, Dan. Yes. And Ken. No, tell uh, tell Ken to call again because I hit add the group and it didn't seem to fucking do anything because Skype uh, sucks. Oh, sorry, Dan. Or... Sorry, That's okay. Ken. I just I sent him the wrong number earlier and then I just sent him the <laughs> the right number. Okay, hold and, on. Uh, Give me a second here. So merge call. Everyone, see, I'm gonna hit this button here. Uh, did it work? It, fuck, it just like hung up. The Can fuck you is call that shit? out? Uh. Yeah, let me try. I'm going to try They're calling fucking out. Canadians. Yeah, what the fuck? Um, oh, my God. Shit, is there a way I can bring can up like, the recent calls? What, yeah, who is calling? And, uh, and, I'm trying to figure that shit out. Uh, right now. Skype is oh, stupid. Oh, there we go. So it was this one. All right. So let's, that's him? I yeah, it's got to be. Don't know. Who else would be calling you? <laughs> right. Well, you know, we have our, you know, we have, we have uh, there's a group. Oh, shit. It fucking probably hung up on, nope. Maybe, you know, uh, too, Dan, uh, if from right, out I of think, country. I think we, we lost, Ken, you there? Ken. I, th- I am here. I think we lost Dan, though. <laughs> oh, no. Well, maybe if Dan calls, since he's God not damn. from Canada, it will. <laughs> well, they are. Are you guys both from Canada, Ken? No, he's from Missouri. Oh, oh okay. So, so hopefully when Dan calls, I'll be able to add him because for whatever reason I know sometimes I with you. Canadian callers, like certain phone plans, like they can't call or they they end up getting charged like a ridiculous amount for calling us sometimes. Wow. So. Well, that's 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 for the peasants. Say, I'm not a peasant. <laughs> Goddamn, Ken. But uh, the movie Big Fur is a documentary. I didn't know what it was till I I uh, started watching. I I didn't know what to expect, but it, it's amazing. And you are a world champion taxidermist, correct? Yes, sir. How did you start that? Um, well, I started being a taxidermist when I was a kid, you know. I just kind of something I fell into, yeah. and it just evolved over the years. Um, you know, I, I mean, I discovered years later, I discovered taxidermy competitions, and it was kind of a cool world, and I wanted to see how I stacked up, you know. it's Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, Dan, do we have you also? Hell yeah, I'm back on. Awesome. Cool, cool, guys, cool, guys. And how did you guys connect for this documentary? Like, which one of you guys reached out first? Well, that'd be me. I uh, I started studying taxidermy and and kind of became more interested in the weirdos that were uh, practicing it and uh, thought there would be a good uh, character-driven documentary there somewhere. So it absolutely I, is. I kind of had a... It, it I seems... had a list of people I was watching, and Ken was near the top of that list. Nice. It seems like there's the a lot of eccentric uh, people that do it. Yeah. It, Ken, did he tell you he was looking for weirdos when he contacted you? <laughs> oh no, I just, I, I just, I, I've, I've, I just. 
take that for granted. <laughs> <laughs> I almost felt like it was um, almost along the lines of Grizzly Man, but not as crazy. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that doc from years ago, Grizzly Man, oh, or yeah, even uh, even yeah, the Joe Exotic. Exactly. Like you didn't oh, yeah. you didn't hit Joe Exotic territory, but you, you're at, you're there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I swung the other way, as you probably saw from the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, so <laughs> the, the documentary, besides you being a taxidermist who's made amazing things that have been displayed in the Smithsonian, is you are obsessed with Bigfoot, correct? Well, I, I yeah, I, I, it's uh, one of my, it's, one, it's probably my main hobby. But uh, yeah, no, I just started collecting accounts over the years, and it and it just it's one of those things that it's uh, the more you do it, the more you have to look at, you know. I want to believe so bad, but I just feel like, I don't know, with, with the, the technology, with the cell phones nowadays, we watched a video a few weeks of a guy who was almost mauled by a cougar and didn't stop recording. Like, I just, I figure there there would be some sort of an upload to, to TikTok or something nowadays. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of videos. There's a lot of uh, videos of Sasquatches, and uh, uh, some of them are pretty amazing, actually, but... They just don't get the traction. People, you know, they, there's an old saying is that I'll I'll uh, I'll see it when I believe it, and a lot of people won't even look at them. Uh, there's one where it shows uh, where you'll see a Sasquatch just filmed by a wildlife biologist walk up a mountain valley, then turn in wet snow and walk straight up the mountain without stopping. Uh, no human can do that. I, I hunt in the mountains, so I know this. And I show that to my my friends that go in the mountains, and they just look at it, and they said that's impossible what, what they're looking at. You know, he it covers the ground in two minutes and forty three seconds. Uh, that it would probably take me close to an hour, or anybody who's in good shape, you know, through wet snow. Wow. Ken, um, what got you going after Bigfoot? Like, did you have an encounter early on? Well, I, I it turns out I did. I saw one years ago in a place called the Swan Hills uh, up in uh, uh, on the old Blue Ridge Hall Road, I saw I thought it was a bear run across the road and I realized it had to be a man because it was on two legs and it ran up a hill without slowing down and I just, I didn't believe uh, in Bigfoot at the time, I was younger and I and uh, I just assumed it was a man but I'd never seen a man, I'd never seen a bear run up a hill without slowing down, nothing and nothing's that strong. And uh, I've come to I've come to meet a number of other people who've seen them in the exact same place. There's a group of them in that area, uh, and so I just kind of it, ne it it never sat well with me. But years later, when I when I remember the sighting, I realized that it makes far more sense that it was a Sasquatch than it was a person. Uh, you know, I just had hunters come up to me and say, "Man, I saw one of these things." I'm telling you. You know, and, and it's like I tell everybody, if you haven't seen one and you don't believe they're out there, the most you can be is 99.9% .9 sure they don't exist. But yes. if you've seen one, uh, anybody I talk to who had a good, clear look at one will tell me that 100% they do exist. I saw, too, just in the documentary, it said that 3,313 sightings have been reported since 1921. So that, that's a lot of sightings. Well, there's over, there's over 4,000 on the BFRO alone, and, and uh, there's 500 sightings a year. Uh, reported, and I've out of three three dozen witnesses that at least that I've talked to, I haven't yet to meet somebody who's reported a sighting. Just with the math, yeah. Why are, do you feel like uh, a lot of people are? Um, they're not coming forward with sightings. Do you feel like a lot of people are embarrassed to to type yeah. of thing? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and and there's people that never go back in the woods again. Uh, <laughs> like like 
you know, enthusiasts who spend all their time in the woods suddenly never go back. Wow. Uh, I don't like the yeah. woods anymore. <laughs> well, you know, apparently, like, especially if you see one of these things up close, it, it, uh, it's not a nice experience. All of a sudden, oh. you're looking at a 1,500-pound, 10-foot-tall monster, and he's looking right through you, you know, and you never go back in the woods. <laughs> Oh shit! The the documentary though is great, guys. Has it been accepted uh, uh, very well in the world of of documentaries? Yeah, I think so. You know, we we were in quite a few festivals and had a bunch more planned before the pandemic hit, and then kind of went, uh, you know, tried to get the direct route uh, onto you know streaming video services. So you can find it now on. You know, iTunes and Amazon and YouTube and Vimeo and all those, you know, just about any place you can buy or rent movies. Um, nice. And it's, you know, gotten almost all good reviews. I think we're still 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, I saw that. I don't know, 13, 13 views, I think, or 13 reviews. Yeah, I saw it at, so, at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, Amazon Prime and had a very good one, like 93% or something, too. Um, yeah, good. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Anybody, I, I, it's the biggest thing is getting somebody to decide to watch it. That's, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and then I still know quite a few people that, that I tell them to watch it. They haven't watched it, but when they do, they get in touch with me and say, "That was actually a good movie." You know, it's like, well, "What'd you think?" <laughs> <laughs> the coolest thing I thought uh, that I found watching it was uh, watching you can carve the styrofoam. Uh, it, it's just like you're you're making the inside of whatever you, you're making, and it's just it's. Fantastic, but uh, I wanted to ask too. I don't know. Styrofoam is something that bugs me out. Like I don't like the sound of it being like, <laughs> yeah. you know, cut and all. Does that ever? Is that something you had to overcome, or does that not bother you? Well, it, it, it doesn't bother me too much. But that that stuff that I used for the for the Sasquatch is is uh, that that white styrofoam, and it it can be really messy and it's staticky. It sticks to everything, you know. Oh. But uh, it, it basically the medium I had I was the only thing because it was the only thing of the right size that I could find uh, you know I have used better uh, better foams but a lot of them they don't make anymore because of the uh, you know the CFCs and the you know the OSHA and all of the rules for uh, uh, you know uh, for the chemicals like for the ozone and, and whatnot yeah so I was I was wondering find. if that played into it and what did they use before styrofoam well, I, I used to use flotation billets. I used to make Dow Chemical used to make uh, uh, flotation billets for floating docks and things like that. And they were, and it, it was a type of urethane foam that works really, really good. And it's it's in eight foot long billets that are like uh, a foot and a half thick and then two feet wide. Uh, those are great. But I just I just haven't been able to get those up here in uh, Canada for a long time. Yeah, and before before that, they, you know, we're using paper mache and clay and you know things that oh. that weren't quite as quick you know to carve wow. historically yeah yeah wow and uh what i i was but, just fascinated too with the the glass eyes the, the the guy you go to for the glass eyes and he will paint uh like three or four different variations of an eye and different sizes for you like that is cool too yeah tony he's really good and at that tohican eye company there yeah, no, it's it it is really fascinating, and you know, a lot of people just don't know a lot about the taxidermy world, and uh, when you get a chance to to glimpse into it, it really is extremely visual and extremely uh, interesting. What are, are some of these competitions too that that they hold? Uh, is, is there like one main one, or uh, uh, how does that work? 
they have a lot of state competitions, uh, and then you have a few main ones. Like the biggest ones in America are uh, the Nationals, which is the National Taxidermist Association. Uh, and they have a, one convention a year as a rule. And then the World Taxidermy Championships that is once every two years. And then each state usually has a taxidermy association, uh, and, and they have a convention and a show every year. So you have your state shows, you have your nationals, and you have your world. Do different states have different like regulations on them? They're pretty. They're pretty similar, but yeah, there there is different regulations from state to state. You know, they have their own boards, and they come up with, you know, this and that. So, uh, but it, it's pretty basic. You know, you have the pretty same same ca- you know categories, and uh, and then you have your three levels: your novice, your professional, and your masters. Are are different animals harder to work with? Oh yeah, yes. What's the yeah. hardest one that you you've had to deal with? Well, they're, they can be difficult for different reasons. Uh, if something is really big, uh, you can lose control of it, you know, like a rhino or a hippo or an elephant. Uh, and then if, if something is very small, like a mouse, you know, uh, or a shrew, you, you have to, uh, you have that to deal with. But some animals, like, like anything from the rabbit family, you know, like cottontails or, or snowshoe hares, their skin is like toilet or, or toilet paper, you know. It's really wet. thin. And wow. it rips, you know, and... and uh, oh. Then there's uh, there's other animals that like some animals just have very thin hair, so all your mistakes are glaring. Like some like an animal like an otter, an otter is almost like doing a fish. You know, uh, you have to work twice as hard to make them look half as good. Uh, you know, so yeah, every every job has its own has its own challenges. And then some animals are just easy to work on. Raccoons, you know, bears. Uh, they Ones just, with they a lot of that. hair are easier. I think cats are hard because it's always hard to make them look. Good. That's <laughs> what I was going to ask too. Yeah, terrible. I was going to ask, like, what uh, as a taxidermist, what is um one of your major uh, uh, sources of income? Is it people coming to you wanting their pets, uh, or hunters that have uh, you know killed a certain animal that want them made? Yeah, I, it's mostly uh, well, I do museum work, obviously, and uh, and also, but most of it is is is. Um, I would say wealthier hunters that collect life-size animals, okay. you know, so if they go to Africa, they'll come back with a lion, a leopard, you know, and, you know, they'll spend a hundred grand and then they'll, they'll bring back and want everything done life-size. I try to just do life-size mammals now. It's a, it's a better clientele and it's, it's better prices on the work. Uh, we have a lot of mountain lions uh, harvested up here in Canada, a lot of bears. Um, you know, I get grizzly bears from up in the Yukon. I get a lot of black and brown bears from you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan. There's there's a, an unbelievable amount of work. To put it into perspective, if uh, I, I believe that the just for the the sales, the sales alone for deer heads in America is a uh, hundred million dollars a year. Wow! And is there anyone that's ever come to you, Ken, with an animal that's endangered that you've had to refuse uh, to oh, work on? We are highly highly regulated. Uh, okay. No, the, anybody comes through the door with something that does not have uh, documentation, they are out the door. Wow. Uh, yeah, they have to. It has to be that way. You know, we get uh, polar bears obviously up here in Canada. We we do a lot. They, they harvest a lot of polar bears here. People don't know that there there's a there's more polar bears now than there has ever been in history, and this is something that they don't tell you. Uh, I do marine mammals that aren't allowed in America, like I do life-size walruses. Uh, seals and things like that. Well, I think I was even working on seals in Big Fur and polar bears. So, um, but everything has to have the proper documentation or it does not cross my threshold. 
And is is it harder to work with an animal that has a skin like a seal? Like you right. you said, it it, it is harder, yeah. you know, but like a fish, fish or something. Like, like it, does the skin make a difference? Yeah, the marine mammals are are very tough, and this includes polar bears because of the amount of uh, highly enriched oil that is in the actual leather. So the tanning process uh, has a lot of challenges in order to get the skin to a workable state. So that's, that is a big problem uh, with those kind of animals. If you allow them to dry out, they never actually relax again because they become waterproof and they just become dry and hard and yellow. Uh, so <laughs> so and it, it's because of all of the oil, you know, the fat in the skin, because you, you, anything that lives up in the Arctic that doesn't have, you know, isn't saturated with fat is going to die. Dan, I heard you say, too, you, you've uh, done taxidermy, uh, and I know Ken teaches it. Were you one of Ken's students? at any point? Well, I wasn't technically one of his students. I mean, I did learn a ton from him and I always, you know, call him up when I have a question, but That's you know, cool. usually I'm kind of a one man band there and I'm, you know, doing sound and, and, you know, framing and shooting and trying to keep one eye open on what's going on. So I'm usually pretty preoccupied when he's working, but a lot of times I'll you know, go home and look at that footage and, and think, oh, that's how you do that, you know? <laughs> like, little things, you know, like just how you tie off a needle, you know? Ken's just, he's done it thousands and thousands of times. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I learned, I learned an amazing amount from him, and I'd love to go up and just, you know, without my camera and work with him sometime. But, yeah. you know, someday, maybe post-pandemic. Yeah, I love too. The documentary not only covers all that other stuff, but it also covers your relationship, Ken, uh, yeah. with your wife and, and uh, your what was her name? Amy, the stu the yeah. students. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, that was interesting. It it, it showed like <laughs> I was just watching the, the 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 part where you were doing the Sasquatch with your wife, and she just looked. Your your ex wife, I guess. Uh, she just looked so unhappy. She did not even <laughs> want to be yeah. there, Ken. Oh. oh no no no! That's that's true. We're divorced now, and she's. I, I hope she's happy where she's at because I'm sure happy where I'm at. That's but, good. But um, you know, no that that I mean that Dan caught a, a really really bad period in my life. To be honest, I, I watch the show sometimes and I shudder. You know, I've I've. I mean, I'm I'm down about thirty pounds from what I was, and I'm in shape, and uh, you know, I'm just I'm I'm happier. I'm, you know, traveling the world. I, I've been working in Hungary. I've been working in China. Uh, I've been working everywhere, all around the world, traveling and and living the life a life that I never thought I'd ever have again. So, uh, and and my my ex-wife is happy, and the kids are happy. They're, the kids are great. Uh, awesome. No, it, it, everything worked out really good. And and uh, and just in the last year, I started to actually speak to Amy again. I was going to uh, ask. She's doing well. That's she's, good. Uh, she just got divorced, uh, and uh, she's she's you know she's struggling with a few things and but she's doing good she's doing very well her business is extremely successful and uh and yeah we're we're back to we're back to friends again which is what i wanted very cool yeah because it, it seemed like everything was was gonna work with her but then at the end you said she, you got that call where she just was out at the last minute like so i was hoping. well yeah there's a there's a big long story to go with that and uh, it's best hold on another yeah story, but I wouldn't want you to do it. It wasn't good for about yeah. five years. It was really bad, actually. It was really bad. And then so, and it was really unfortunate, but things seem to be better now, a lot better for, for both of us. Cool. So, so, Dan, what I'm getting from what Ken just said is that Ken is kind of unhappy 
with how he was betrayed in the documentary. Oh, uh, <laughs> does, <laughs> Damn you, Dan. <laughs> Ken, do you no. want Dan to do a sequel? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, yeah, I, 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 bigger I, fur. Keep an eye open for bigger fur. <laughs> Yes, I think the best part of doing a uh, part two would be taking auditions, you know. But uh, <laughs> or like apprentices, <laughs> like I, I'd come on and I'd be like, "Teach me, teach me, Ken. Just you, you do all the styrofoam. I don't want to deal with the styrofoam." <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it, 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 when it hits a streaming service, there's a good chance it could go viral. You never know because yeah. of what happened to that other crazy documentary. But um, yeah. You know, I, it would be it would be nice if somebody you know if if there were ended up being enough interest generated uh, that that they commissioned Dan to do something else. You know, because mm. you know these these independent productions. I when I went to the Sundance Film Festival with Dan and I saw what he had to go through and I see what all of the independent filmmakers have to go through. They don't make any money on these things. Basically, they bolster up their resume. Uh, you know, so Big Fur Two would have to be commissioned and it would have to be worth worthwhile to, to Dan, yeah. that's for sure. Or, like, have a bionic... Well, it's especially tough right now, because <laughs> everything's going straight to streaming, so yeah. you know, everybody yeah. kind of has the same route, and uh, there's a lot yeah. of content out there, you know. Or, like, cyborg yeah. shit, like, maybe, like, a bear with a Ooh, laser I like eye. that, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> Science <laughs> fiction <laughs> taxidermy. One that breathes fire. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool shit. Well, there is there is a, a really big, uh, there's kind of a big thing going on now in the, on the dark web called Bigfoot erotica too. You know, there's always, Ooh. there's always that. Oh, <laughs> good. That good. So what do you I have just... to do? You taxidermy a Bigfoot fucking like a tiger or something? A liger. <laughs> a liger. <laughs> Against its will. It would be an action piece. <laughs> I just love though Dan like and Ken like in the in the uh, movie when you uh, when you created the Bigfoot that they had um, what was the, the category in the, in the competition there was like a oh recreations yes they have a whole yeah. category for uh, creatures like that have there been any other creatures uh, 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 like Loch Ness monster or anything like that made. No, they, they, there was, there was a lot of people like I've won that 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 uh, particular world title twice, and it's quite heavily competed in. It's very competitive, and I had two serious complaints against me bringing a Sasquatch, and and I really, to be honest, I didn't really want to put it in there because I don't like causing controversy at Larry's show. Uh, so we just the only it was there for the movie. We made it for the movie, and we needed it there for reaction and feedback. And the uh, the art category was the only thing that it, it could the interpretive art was the only thing we could really put it in, yes, uh, and actually give it a, a number, um, and and really like uh, you know in the movie it looks like I was disappointed that it couldn't be in recreations, but to be honest I never wanted it in there in the first place because uh, I don't didn't want to cause any controversy. It was there it was there for the movie and it was there for reaction, and it ended up being the darling of the media and, and people. People lined up around the block to come and see it, and everybody paid ten bucks. So I'm sure Larry was glad it was there. I loved seeing like the, the, the little girl that wanted a, the, a picture with it. All the people that took selfies. It was so cool, so cool. Oh, it was it, it was uh, it was a sensation. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. And uh, what what fur again did you use? Did you use alpaca fur? Highland steer. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a little long. Like if you look at the pictures of Patty in the, in the the Patterson footage, I actually had a woman come into the shop who saw a Sasquatch, almost hit it with her car, and she looked at my model. And she says, "Man, that's exactly what they look like." She said, "But the ah. one she hit almost hit was ten feet tall. It was a big male, 
and she said the hair wasn't as long in ratio to its body. And I I knew that already from the uh, um, from the the. the you know, but you never know how it's going to turn out until you put it together, right? Yeah, and I want to. Oh, I'm sorry. So I just I just want to know, Ken. I, I've been dying to ask. Like, so obviously, like you have the shop, and your, all your taxidermy work is in the shop. But I want to know about your like home. Like, if somebody walked into your house, is there just like taxidermy seals everywhere? Like, is it <laughs> like, or is it just like a work thing for you? Uh, well, there's I have a few mounts in the house, but they they can't be in direct sunlight because they'll fade. Um, oh, okay. So there's a lot of light upstairs, but I have a, a, a den downstairs that was, a lot of that was cut out of the movie, but uh, I have a lot of things stored. I block up the windows in there, uh, you know, the tiger and the snow leopard are in there, and and uh, so, but I'm, you know, because I, I got the house after the divorce, I still haven't set up the basement uh, the way I want it. It's just, just so bloody expensive just to maintain everything right now. But but no, like if you, if I have a really nice house. If you go upstairs um, it's really a comfortable place. I, I like it when I have visitors. It's it's kind of the kind of place you can just lounge and have a few beers and listen to some music, sing some karaoke. It's a great cool. place. That's cool. cool. Guys, we have to wrap it up, but it has been a, a, a blast talking to you both. Oh, it's been Well, great. thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Where can everybody find you guys, and where can everybody find the movie? Uh, the easiest way is go to bigfurmovie.com, and there's a watch now button there, and it'll take you to just about any place that you normally go to to buy or rent a movie, uh, you know, iTunes, Amazon, that kind of thing. Um, so it's pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Oh, thank you. All right. Much. Thanks guys. No problem. Uh, when, when the interview goes up and the show and all, I will definitely send you all the links. Great. Okay. Thanks. Have a good one guys. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Super cool. We will be back with puppeteer Michael McCormick. Michael. Yes, it is. Hi, Michael McCormick. This is Robin Slim uh, from New Jersey. We are live right now, and uh, I, uh, your work is phenomenal, Michael. Oh, I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> you are puppeteer um, from Santa Fe, New Mexico, correct? I'm in Albuquerque, which is 60 miles, well, 45 miles south. Okay. And uh, how did you Santa Fe. How did you first get started in puppetry? Oh, good question. Uh, I have always, from the time I was a child, had in interest in, uh, you know, figurines like that that are animated. And, um, uh, and of course, puppetry is the end of that journey. Um so I was very fortunate to sort of have arrived at one point. Yes, and uh, what, at, at what the, point? At what point did you realize that you had made it? That you were going to be able to, um, you know, make a living off of it? Good question. <clears throat> I think when my son was about eight. I decided to stop everything I was doing and simply build a set of Punch and Judy puppets and become a Punch and Judy man, which I did and some degree of success and continued performing my Punch and Judy show all the way through Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. Uh, even I think we did a couple of shows in California when I was on Jedi, as a matter of fact. 
How did yeah. Punch and Judy start? Were they were they your own uh, imagination? My puppets in general, yeah. I, I, of course, you know you have reference to things like facial expressions. Um, so you know you're always looking for that little trick in the face that identifies and uh, sort of makes the character unique. So were you able to bring your characters to these directors, like you said, Labyrinth and um, Dark Crystal, and you were able to say, like, hey, I have these puppets, and they were like, yeah, we're going to use those. Or use something along those lines. Well, what the way those big companies work is that you're usually assigned something. Oh, uh, okay. Well, something and, uh, like you're going to work on this puppet, this puppet, and this puppet. Okay, so you go ahead and do that. In the meantime take a little of whatever spare time you might have and do one of your own and hope you catch somebody's attention. Uh, but, uh, which I did in California on return of the Jedi. Wow. The, uh, uh, I was doing a, a Phil Tippett, enormous puppet called uh, elephant man at the time. What? And, uh, it was as big as big, big figure. And it was, it's basically a huge face of an elephant and there's just so much you can do with it. And that's what's curious. It needed something. And I came up with the idea of Salacious Crumb, that monkey-type uh, character who was Jabba the Hutt's buddy. Oh, yeah! Yes! The little, yes. Yeah. yes! I was going to ask what and, you and, did uh, on, on uh, Return of the Jedi. I didn't know if you worked on the Ewoks or if you worked on... Uh... Java or, or yeah. Yoda? Wow! Oh man, I was I was a big fan of the uh, the Star Wars um Super Nintendo video games when I was a kid, and the Return of the Jedi game had that little monkey thing when you were fighting Jabba the Hutt, and <laughs> it was just yeah. the yeah. noise yeah. from that thing. And, and he was he was uh, my concept completely. You know, I just I needed something to go on the Elephant Man that'd make him work better. And there's uh, that you could puppeteer through the elephant man's arm, actually, uh, if that makes sense. It almost becomes a stage. Your arm goes, you know, up and into the other puppet. But that um, uh, was sculpted initially by Tony McVeigh, and. Uh, I worked on the body with him a little bit, but the head was just a wonderful sculpt, so I decided, well, I'm not going to go for anything else, just go for this. And George Lucas happened to see him when he came over to look at the puppets, and, uh, and you know, he became uh, a star. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. That's, That's really amazing, cool. Michael. I wanted to ask, too, um, I, I love Dark Crystal. That was one of the first movies my father took me to see as a child in theaters, and uh, what, oh yeah! What what? It was just magical. Uh, and what was your role uh, in the Dark Crystal? Because I, I know I remember even oh. seeing um, like behind the scenes where they had actual men in some of the in some of the puppets on stilts and all. Like what were you working there, on? Well, there there were there were figures in every one of them, and when you see them walking, sort of free, not attached to you know. Uh, they had small, little people in there, and and so we had, you know, Askexes that could walk around, and then sort of come in, switch, and do a 
close-up of, you know, the highly animated uh, faces. But uh, what I did basically on that show, I talked to Brian Froud, oh, God, I guess about six months ago, and he said, well, you know, the only reason I hired you on this show, this is after I'd done dozens of things, <laughs> and he said, the only reason I hired you on this show is because you can make things look old. <laughs> I was thinking when I saw the Punch and Judy that they almost reminded me of the Skeksis, how old and like decrepit they look. Well, yeah, there's, I think, you know, a sort of a relationship to, to, um, what should I say, a relationship between Punch and all those sort of wonderful grotesque figures uh, yes. that you find in puppet life, you know, wherever it exists, whether it's in the middle of Turkey and with uh, what Hajivat Karagos Karagos, and uh, you, so you find you know a, a, a sort of a, a a big nose, a hump on his back, a pot belly, and uh, it uh, is kind of a universal figure. I don't know. I spent the better part of my life trying to figure out just what makes Punch work, and. Uh, and that's where I finally sort of came to the conclusion that he's a genuine archetype. And there was a, a psychiatrist uh, from uh, Caracas, Venezuela, who uh, saw the show that I did at Notre Dame. And uh, he is a, was a Jungian specialist in uh, the archetype of Priapus. And after the show, he came up and gave me this huge sort of a brass, sort of, you know, gave me this hug and whispered in my ear, you are a priest of Priapus. <laughs> wow. Oh my yeah, God, yeah, it amazing. was a kind of a wow. And it was the first Punch and Judy show he'd ever seen. Wow. But that, uh, he and he thinks, you know, that really is his uh, part of his entire thesis. Not that Punch is, but the, the focus he has given to uh, Jungian analysis and... Uh, uh, it, basically, it's based on that uh, uh, Hermes and um, that whole area of psychology, dark, twisted, slightly grotesque, or a lot grotesque. And uh, um, so that's, you know, that's where he plays punch. And I, I now <laughs> immediately realize he was absolutely right. It's... Uh, <laughs> Funny to have been sort of taken over by an archetype. <laughs> I want to ask too, Michael, how has puppetry in your lifetime changed? Has it, has, how has it changed? How has it changed? And uh, if it has, uh, has it changed for the better or, or worse? Oh, I, it's, it's, you know, I mean, obviously, when I was a kid, I mean, very little, uh, uh, almost an infant, I saw my first uh, puppet show, Punch and Judy, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, and I actually, those images have stayed with me all these years. And that was an Italian puppet company that was uh, stranded because of the war uh, in the United States. And so that's what they did. They shook their puppets. The, uh, uh, you know, simple puppetry like Punch and Judy puppetry is, is sort of a front runner into what it is that 
little kids and even some adults uh, absolutely adore because mm-hmm. you can interact like pantomime. You can interact with with the uh, the character, right? Yeah. And yes. Punch is always sort of interfacing with the kids in the audience. Oh yes, he did. Oh no, he didn't. Uh, so it it becomes a kind of a theatrical dialogue, and that kind of puppetry. I mean, uh, there are many places I can't perform in America because of, I mean, the city or the governor's mayor, whoever the hell it is, um, sort of uh, determines that it's uh, there's liability involved, so we can't have that. Um, so now, interestingly, the only place I can perform in town is uh, at the uh, the local uh, city museum, which is a very advanced high quality museum and i'm happy to know the director and he invited us down to uh to perform our puppets the punch and judy puppets there at the museum but it was uh we had an evening over there they got jim henson's show in and uh the show was great and uh then they showed the dark crystal and they asked me if i would introduce it and which i did and uh that was great and so there was so much enthusiasm uh, you know, about puppetry, everybody was sort of, oh, we should have it down here at the museum kind of thing. And I, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Awesome. Just, uh, you know, knock on my door. Yeah. It, um, but, uh, yeah, so the, the Punch and Judy made, you know, a, a basic kind of uh, living uh, at the time. And I'm, I'm talking about, like, uh, you know, 1980, 73 that uh, I was making you know uh, almost enough to live on (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, not even there with this show Michael I'm not even making enough (laughs) we're not making anything (laughs) no but uh, Michael I wanted to bring up a couple years ago we had uh, this guy uh, his name was John Peasy in studio with us and he's a ventriloquist I don't know like what the lines are between uh puppeteering and ventriloquist but he had his puppets with him and it was just so interesting when he would bring out the puppets and we would start start talking to the puppets almost like talking to a completely different entity yeah it's amazing the way they they genuinely sort of it's Pinocchio. I really wanted to be a real boy. That's really the only thing I ever wanted to be was a real boy. And it's, in a funny kind of way, the puppet is already a real thing. Yes. And responding and interacting. It's just incidental that he became flesh and blood. Yes. But uh, it's, that, uh, that story is just loaded with uh, you know, sort of images that flash. And you know, every time I sort of look at a puppet, I sort of, that's one of the thoughts that pops into my head. The Pinocchio thing, you know, and it's it's uh, uh, it's so loaded with just the kind of uh, thing you're talking about. Being able to here's a, an old puppeteer who does exactly what you did. He's relating to the puppet as though it's real. Right. And uh, and it's uh, you know not everybody has that experience. Lucky people have that experience <laughs> because it really it stays with you for a lifetime. Yeah. You know? It's just. Uh, yeah, it's fabulous. Michael, I, I want to ask too, with, um, I, I think it was the last year or two, the um, the Netflix uh, uh, Dark Crystal series that came out, were you were you consulted on that? 
No, about the only person from the original Dark Crystal, uh, or two people, I should say, Brian Froud and his wife, Wendy, um, that, uh, I mean, she did an amazing amount of sculpting, um, uh, all the podlings, all the, you know, the, the heroes, the uh, um, sort of everything that moved or wiggled, somehow or another, he and she and Brian had their hand in it someplace. But, but um, yeah, it's, uh, well, I don't know. I, it, it's very strange because, I mean, you sort of, you know, you do your thing, which was uh, making puppets and shaking them and uh, talking to kids. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got some kind of a strange theatrical history that you've created and you're part of it. And you realize you're only a small part of it because the puppets have a real claim on it as well. <laughs> so. You know, you're sort of competing, competing with your own ego with puppets because they uh, can upstage you. <laughs> wow, that's a crazy yeah, concept. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's it's been a trip, I'll tell you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was gonna say too. I saw that um, your son is a puppeteer as well, correct? In so far as he worked with me for years, but uh, he did the the outside position on the Punch and Judy, which is the bottler who talks to the puppets, talks to the audience, and is an intermediary between the, the two events. And then, of course, uh, collects the money at the end of the day. Huh. Cool. So it's, uh, yeah, my son sort of became, I think he actually, <laughs> he became a theatrical person uh be because of those experiences he had with the punch and judy i mean he ended up in the theater department at the university you know he was working on dark crystal he was working on labyrinths you know, yes. so it's uh it's 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 a crazy business i mean and when you look on online what's available like pinterest and things like that that uh, you know the deal puppets on an ongoing basis it gives you an idea of to what level the technology has grown yeah. uh not not just with animatronics but with i mean actual ways of making the bodies these bodies move which i did i don't know in labyrinth ludo you know that really big big character yes the woolly hairy hairy one yes um yeah jennifer's friend <laughs> 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 and uh, the uh, I, I built the prototype for him, feasibility prototype. And uh, uh, I did it. It's the biggest one I've ever built. It turned out to be the largest uh, man in a suit uh, figure at, at the time. I think it was some larger one since. But wow. at the time, it was uh, uh, kind of amazing, actually, mm. that, uh, that it worked as well as it did. Michael, working on Labyrinth, did you have any interactions with David Bowie? Uh, yeah, I did much of the ornaments and, and uh, uh, aging and all the uh, all the necessaries on his costumes all the way through. So it, I had uh, you know a chance to well, you know, it's interesting. He did the man who fell to earth. He did here in Albuquerque, and. Uh, and that's why I got to know him on Labyrinth, because the minute that Jim Henson introduced me to him, uh, 
I said uh, Fenton Lake. And he immediately knew what I was talking about. And so we had this, you know, rapport because of of, uh, the man who fell to earth, which is sort of an underrated little film. I love it. Wow. And what was working with Jim like? How did you guys first connect and and all that? Well, it's curious. You know, I mean, everybody's got a story about how they got started in the movie world or whatever it is. And uh, uh, mine was that my son and I used to perform in Santa Fe at uh, Fiesta at the, you know, the celebration in the autumn. And it was uh, a particular day we went up to do our show, and the weather was so unbelievably foul, we decided not to uh, do it, but that we would do just one show, do it real quick, and pack up and come home. And so we did it. We did the show, and while we were packing up, somebody said, well, I really like them puppets. And I, he said, I'm Roger Miller, you know, the songwriter. And... uh a very close friend of Jim's because he'd done all kinds of work on Sesame Street and uh, um, just, you know, contributed tremendously music-wise to the those shows. And uh, uh, he said, has Jim Henson ever seen your puppets? And I said, uh, no, no. He said, well, would you like him to? I said, is that an introduction? And he said, yeah, go ahead, use my name. So I did. I called up, and uh, it was, what's curious is I, it it was happening so fast I, I couldn't quite believe it. Uh, uh, I had sold something in Santa Fe on that same trip up there, a little gothic figure for quite a bit of money, and uh, um, <laughs> I sort of bought an airline ticket, packed my puppets in a big suitcase, and uh, jumped on a plane, and you know, my wife's mouth was still kind of hanging open, and uh, the uh, the the effect was the whole thing just simply became magical for the, the next ten years. You know, it was just crazy. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I got to uh, uh, got to England, took the train north up to Elstree, where the studios were, uh, and the ATV studios that uh, filmed. The Muppet Show, they were filming actually the last episode of Miss Piggy as Cleopatra. Do you remember that one? I do, yes. Yeah, I mean, just an absolutely glorious uh, piece of stage work. But the, uh, and Jim, uh, I was there, you know, sort of first thing in the morning, and I stood there for the rest of the day, and at uh, six o'clock, they broke, and, and Jim would uh, you know grant me about five minutes so which is what happened but uh, after he got through looking at my folio and um he told me years later that uh, you know what uh the real reason he sort of gave me the nod at that point was is that i liked my own puppets enough to have them photographed professionally which i did i have a friend and um so that that really that impressed him and uh, uh, as as far as the other stuff, I you know who knows. He liked my Punch and Judy, and he generally speaking hated Punch and Judy. <laughs> but uh, wow. the uh, so I saw you know so after that I saw Jim you know at least you know once every two weeks was the least you'd see him, you know, and he's popping back and forth to New York and 
you know, back to uh, London. I feel like he was a perfectionist so, uh, with with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 At, he was hands on at every level of the business, and it uh, just uh, I think it just really wore him out. Finally. Yeah. Was he but, patient? Uh, was he a patient man, or uh, was he uh, very uh, short tempered? Uh, he was in no way short-tempered, but he was very serious about certain points in okay. puppetry, and he could, uh, you know, sort of slip in out of those personalities um, of being, uh, you know, a funny guy with a frog on his arm, from, and he could flip over into a very serious businessman kind of posture. Wow. Um, it just a, a very flexible personality. That's amazing. And uh, so, and wide, widely, uh, uh, what can I say, talented. I mean, and he was he was good with music. He understood music. He was good with movement and dance, and you know, the entire range of uh, entertainment of at that uh, dare I say novelty level. Mm. He brought it to another but, level. Uh, I feel like he, he brought puppetry to, to he brought puppetry to like a whole another level. Uh, Jim did absolutely, yes. yeah. absolutely, and uh, of course the people that I worked with were absolute, you know, stunning artists. Uh, um, I mean, Brian Froud has got to be one of the most amazing human beings I've ever ever seen, let alone work with. And uh, uh, his his wife was so incredibly talented. All the people. I mean, in Hampstead we had the, the shop, and I guess there were about nine or ten of us at different times. Um, but uh, and, and we essentially built the entire show right there, except for the staging. That's amazing. And uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of amazing. I did the first sort of major, uh, sort of uh, film test ready uh, Skeksis, um, the um, Gartham Master, and that was, uh, but you know, it's typical movie stuff. You know, everything is consists of work and effort by a number of people, and that did Lyle Conway sculpted the head. I built the body. I built the costume on it. But the costume was three or four other people. Holly Smith uh, did uh, you know little bits on it along the way. Even Tony McVeigh, he had just come out of the show. He what? built part of it, and, uh, and that's how I got to know him because he was building part of. It. But uh, it takes that kind of an effort. I mean, some of those puppets had as many as nine people crawling around under them with, wow. you know, cable controls. Yes. Wow. Michael, we've, I mean, we, we we have to wrap this up, but I, it's been so great talking to you. And good talking to you. Good talking. I can't tell you Hope how you much I appreciate to do it. I, 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 if, you, if you come this way, be sure to look me up. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Where can everybody find you? I'm sorry. Can do you have a website or, or something like that where everybody can find you? Uh, Facebook. Okay. And even though I've never never seen it, I know a lot of my stuff is on you know that the Facebook page. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah, awesome. oh. I've been thinking about doing a website actually. Yeah. You, you're. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for calling into us. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity. No. And hopefully, 
we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, I would love to. Have a have a great night. And you. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Take care, Michael. Bye. Wow. Oh, my God. He made the monkey from Return of the Jedi. That's <laughs> just... And holy shit. David Bowie and, and Jim Henson. Holy fuck. That was a cool interview. Holy shit. I, I, did, I, I had so much more questions. Yeah. And I was just I, like, oh. God damn. No. Fuck. All right. We'll, we'll be, be back. right back with Jason Fontaine. Hey. Robinson, Robinson Show. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Great. How are you, Jason Fontaine? Fontaine. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a funny one. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it anymore. <laughs> uh, I just realized, hey. yeah, I've had a few too many drinks. Jason Fontaine, singer-songwriter <laughs> from Georgia. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. From oh. how long have you west been... of Atlanta, but I live in Atlanta now. How oh. long what? How, how long have you been uh, doing music for, Jason? Well, uh, I mean, I started playing music when I was 13, but I didn't start recording or publishing stuff really until 2000, last year. I think my first album came out September last year. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, and se- second album just came out uh, exactly one year later, same same month, I think one day later. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, yeah. What has been uh, uh, some of your uh, biggest influences in making music? Uh, uh, musical influences or just general influences? Either, both, either or. Ah, that's a good question. Um, fuck. Uh, well, to start, I guess. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I liked watching wrestling, and those theme songs were always cool, little metal songs and stuff. So that's what got me into music. My, I think my family, my dad, listened to like classical and stuff growing up, which I love now, but wasn't necessarily what i listened to i didn't get into music till i was like 12 or so uh but then yeah stuff like metallica nirvana is what got me wanting to pick up a guitar and uh i couldn't do it at first uh because i was <coughs> i was left-handed and the guitar was right-handed that i had <laughs> uh and then i got i got put on restriction because i i, I was playing too many video games on the computer or something and failing in schools, uh, so my aunt told me I couldn't uh, couldn't play with electronics, and so the only thing I could do was play with this right-handed guitar. Oh my god! So, oh no. so you learned a right-handed guitar at being a lefty? Yeah, exactly. That, that that's that that out of sheer boredom. That's what I did. I just picked up the guitar because it was the only thing I could do to entertain myself, and I was a thirteen-year-old, you know. So yeah, gotta have something. I needed to. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't play Civilization. Y'all remember Civilization? Yeah. Yes. 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 I, I couldn't play. I couldn't play. Uh, I can't even remember which one it was. It was. It, it was. It was a good. Ah, fuck. I think it was Civ Three. Yeah, Civ Three. I couldn't play Civ Three, so uh, so I started playing guitar instead. <laughs> so I've been playing ever ever since. Yeah. Do you, question is, do you still play the right-handed guitar or do you play left-handed guitar? Oh, good, good question. Uh, no, I, I, I play everything okay. right-handed. I play oh. drums right-handed. Uh, of course, bass is another guitar. I play, uh, yeah, I've I just become. I, I don't know. Is ambidextrous the word? Yes. Yeah, that's what I. That was what I was just trying to think of ambidextrous. What is a but, left-handed but, guitar like? That's what I want to know. So, so a left-handed guitar, you. So you use the frets. Uh, with your right hand on a left-handed guitar and you strum with your left hand and then with a right-handed guitar you 
use the fr- you fr- fret it with your left hand and strum with your right hand. Oh, yeah, but I don't I know if I would consider myself ambidextrous because I don't play both ways. I mean, I write and do other things with my left hand, but guitar, I only and I only write with my left hand. I mean, I can write with my right hand if I really uh, feel challenged uh, to do it. But uh, I don't know. I think ambidextrous, you have to be good at everything yeah. equally, no? Yeah. Uh, all right. Or I don't know. Maybe it's there's a level of ambidextrous. It's, it's weird because uh, Jason, I'm left-handed, and for at least a year, I tried to learn acoustic guitar, and I was always fretting with my left hand and learned to strum with my right hand. Mm-hmm. That's right-handed you, guitar. So that's so a right-handed you, guitar. Did yeah. you have a special left-handed guitar, or did you use mm-hmm. a right-handed? No, I used like a, like a Walmart brand acoustic guitar. <laughs> I don't know, but I was fretting with the left hand and strumming so, with the right hand. Yeah, you were playing, you, you were playing upside right down guitar. Yeah, I guess yeah. I was doing it upside down. That's why yeah. you suck, Slim. So, <laughs> I have seen people. Um, I, I can't recall if it was in public or yeah, I think I've seen someone in public, but I, I think I've seen people on YouTube also that were playing left-handed with the right-handed guitar. And the guitar was basically upside down, and yeah. yet somehow they figured out how to navigate that way. Like, wow. my mind is blown. Because that's what I mean. Like, like the, the string's going in order. Like, the bottom string is different from the top string. So how yeah. would you flip that right-handed yeah, guitar? Yeah, that's why I always learned way. to fret with the left hand yeah. and strum with the right hand, because that just seemed like the only way you could play guitar. It just seemed natural for you, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, well, but I guess to what uh, Rob was saying, I think you're uh, having to make all the chord shapes with your fingers upside down if you're playing a right-handed guitar left-handed. So oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I don't know how that, that just seems so awkward. But I mean, you yeah. know what? If if that's all you know, that's all you know, I guess. And uh, are left-handed guitars uh, more expensive than right-handed guitars? Uh, so I've never really. I never really tried to find that find out because uh, uh, right-handed guitars are more ubiquitous. Uh, however, I would say that yeah, I think they are. I think I you're going to pay at least a hundred or two hundred dollars more. I would on, think uh, so. Yeah, but you could do what some guitarists have done, and you. I think you have to take the nut, which is the uh, the the thing that holds the strings at the top of the guitar. I think you have to flip that around and glue it back down. And then you can flip your strings around. I, I, I believe that's one hack. I think you might have to reverse your bridge, or you can carve out because the, the 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 these uh, they're made out of bone or plastic or whatever, and they hold your strings like a bridge in the saddle. Yeah, hold your strings tight, and you'd have and they're carved out to hold each string. Excuse me, and each string gets thicker um, the deeper the tone. So. Yeah. So you would either have to reverse that or you'd have to carve it somehow. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, when there's a will, there's a way and people yeah. figure stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, how would you describe your music to somebody who has not heard you before? Uh, okay. Uh, that's a good question. And, you know, I've been getting <clears throat> recent. Uh, at first, I didn't know. My first album had more of a uh, Celtic punk acoustic vibe to it. Like, mm-hmm. Dropkick Murphys or Flogging Molly is. Yeah. Uh, I yes. also got. Uh, I heard uh, Social Distortion a lot, uh, but the, my first album, uh, the the song that was most successful was a song called Bujeria, which means uh, witchcraft in Spanish, yeah. and um, that's a song that kind of took off, and it's kind of just a black magic, you know, uh, 
with the Spanish motif to it. Jason, uh, I, I watched I watched the video to that one and I fucking loved it. Like I, I'm glad you brought that up because I loved like you're painted as kind of like a skeleton. Yes, right? and I see <laughs> the Spanish. I see the Spanish almost day it's of the just dead. Fucking cool. Yep. Influence yeah. in you. Yeah, I, I love I, uh, that. Definitely uh, an appreciation of. I would say that's mostly Mexican culture. Although in that particular video, I was more so dressed up in the style of like a. A voodoo loa, yeah. like a Baron Samedi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, or is it Samedi? I don't know. Like, uh, you remember Live and Let Die by James, that James Bond movie, uh, and they had that character in there. I think he was also in the GoldenEye game, yes. uh, Baron Samedi. Okay. Yeah. So that's who. So I did like a mashup of like voodoo and brujeria, like Spanish witchcraft mixed with like voodoo, just like a mashup of like folk Catholicism. For that cool. video, and and it was really fun to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I brought that character back for my most one of my most recent videos, Santa Muerte, which is a uh, holy death in Mexico primarily. There, there's a version in Argentina called San de Muerte, um, which is similar, um, but it's just a, a saint, saint death basically. Uh, and it's really fascinating to me, and. Uh, so so now I've been bringing that into my live performances because, you know, a guy just holding an acoustic guitar to me uh, can be kind of boring to watch. <laughs> so we want to throw the uh, the costume on the face paint and put the little skulls next to you on the table with the candles. It becomes a lot more interesting to watch, in my opinion. So that's what I've been doing. Um but I was going to say, uh, you were asking about the styles. That's the one that took off on the first album and primarily in Latin America. So on my second album, I kind of went more for like a dark Spanish uh, style uh, on most. A lot of the tracks were just kind of darker, has that sexy black magic um, style to it. Um, and I don't, I don't know, it's just a really fun. Some people have been c comparing me to a, a guy named Voltaire lately, and I checked him out. Yes. And he is really cool to watch or listen to if you haven't heard of him. I have heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So Voltaire is uh, really fascinating. I think he plays here in Atlanta every year at this convention called Dragon Con. I'm sure you might have heard of that. I, I, I'm um, just trying to think of off the top of my head. I can't recall it. one of his songs. is just it, It's so amazing. It's so amazing. When, when you're... When you're evil is probably one of his most pop. Is probably his hit or whatever. Yes. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's the one you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I don't know. He said so. I saw a comment on YouTube and it was hilarious and true. It, someone was like, "I love this Voltaire guy. He sounds like a failed villain who became a singer instead." <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> a, a, fail, a failed Disney villain that became yeah. a singer instead. That's what they said. Okay. Instead of the, I guess normally it's the failed artist becomes the villain, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so, he so went the cool. other way. I like the other direction. Like Jafar, yeah. he just like he fucked up. He was like, ah, I became a genie. It just didn't work. I'm just gonna sing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just gonna be an artist now. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know what? The world's uh, better off with less villains and more artists. You more, know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and you, you know what? Uh, you can sing about villainous stuff like he does, uh, and and it's it doesn't do any harm to anybody. You know, I yeah. think yes. uh, personally. Yeah. So, Jason, would you know. would you be go able ahead, to perform something for us? Uh, yeah, yeah, I totally could. Uh, I, I, let me uh, go into my studio with my guitar, and I'll do that. 
Do y'all want to any, hear anything specific, like brujeria or? Totally up to you. Yeah, uh, pick I, what you I think. Mean, what you're most proud of, Jason? Oh well, usually that's always the newest track that I make, <laughs> but I I can't recall which one that is. Uh, <laughs> I probably would do brujeria just because it's the fan favorite. Okay, awesome. cool. And because because it's Halloween. Yes. And it's yeah, it's that time of year for for this song. Do, right do now, you want us to go away for a couple of minutes as you paint your body and put on a top hat? Uh, <laughs> I wish I wish I had time for that. I, 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 that would take me forever. Uh, I, yeah, I I don't do it. I don't even paint myself because I'm I, I'm not a I'm not that good of a artist. <laughs> Let me turn on this uh, PA system. And we'll get we'll get the song cranking. Cool. Okay. Make sure my Spotify is cut off. Yeah. Cool. So uh, here, let me uh, unplug my headphones for you guys. Did we lose him? We, oh, lose him. we lost him in the un, the unplugging of the headphones. Hold on, he's going back. Oh. oh my God, there's too much going on Jason. here. Jason. Jason. Uh, All right, we got you. You there? Okay. Yeah, I accident. I guess it Skype hangs up on you when you yeah. unplug your headphones. They don't like headphones coming out. Do what? They don't like the headphones being unplugged. Skype. Yeah. They'll be all right. Uh, let me see. Oh, okay. I will use this guitar amp then. All right. So I should have prepared for this part. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, are you sure you're not using your um, webcam microphone? Because it sounds like you might be using your webcam f microphone. Just, just make sure you're using the microphone that you're uh, you're talking into right now. Uh, so does it sound different? Not as good now? Yeah, no, it sounds like a little canny, like, uh, like speaking into a can, so it might be your webcam. Let me go ahead and plug back in my, okay. uh, what's it called? My, my, uh, earbuds? Yeah, it's okay. a little, it's a little echoey, and I just recognize that as like, oh, that's the webcam picking it up. <laughs> well, so the echo is probably my microphone, actually. Oh, so, okay. Right probably doesn't sound as echoey when I'm not talking. Yeah, that that sounds better. Yep. Okay, yeah, so I use the a reverb uh, when I'm doing the stuff through the PA system just cuz I like the way it sounds. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Then we'll go with that. I'll, as soon as I finish with this song, I can uh, get back to uh, the earbuds. Okay, right, cool. Let me let me find this song for you guys. And then I'm going to mute the mic, so whenever you're ready. Um, let me see. I'm just about ready. All right. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. All right, we're good to go. Cool, here we go. Brujeria. Happy Halloween. Surely a foot, a spell of white, and now as the 
and uh, concerts right now with the uh, face paint. I don't know how that's going to be after Halloween. But <laughs> <laughs> what do you have? Do you have anything special planned for Halloween? Any live performance or any song dropping? So actually, both. Uh, the live performance is more kind of like a, a private deal, like a house party. A friend wanted me to perform it. Cool. Um, but as far as song coming out. It looks like I might have two songs dropping because I did a cover of "I Put a Spell on You" by Screaming Jay Hawkins. Yes, yeah, Hocus yeah. Pocus, motherfucker. <laughs> I love that dude, man. He's like, yeah. apparently, he was kind of like me. Like, he just kind of came in there and it kind of evolved into the act that he's doing or that he did uh, with the voodoo and the cannibalistic looking yeah. stuff. Um, but that wasn't his initial. Uh, he was just a blues singer, but it just kind of went that direction, which is kind of what happened with me. It's going into that weird, cool, but it's fun. It's entertaining yeah. uh, direction. But he, uh, but but the, the, what I was saying about that is uh, that might drop on Halloween also because mm. I'm waiting for the 
mechanical license to officially release it as a cover because cover songs you have that red tape you have to deal with yeah um unless you want to just drop it on youtube or soundcloud or something but <laughs> but that I was the, wanted, I, I, I was gonna say I, I put a spell on you that was in that movie hocus pocus right it, it was so that version was interesting that one was more of like a showy show tune sounding version yeah. like I put a spell on you, yeah, and now you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. They had like the backing vocals and stuff in that one. <laughs> it was definitely a, it's, I, I like how a song can be interpreted in so many ways. My version is definitely um, not the same as the original either. Right. Uh, the CCR has a great version of that song. Uh, there's a lot of bands out there that have covered that song, actually. Uh, it, there was this local guy, his name is... Uh, carlton heston and he's like super underground like here in atlanta uh but anyone that's seen him knows he's like legit talented amazing uh and he had a version and that's kind of what after i played a show with him a couple weeks ago i had been like thinking that i was going to make a version of that but i wasn't i never got around to it and then i heard his version i was like okay it's like that's a phenomenal i mean i could never do something better than what this guy did but it just made me want to go ahead and just record that. And right now is the perfect time of year to do that. So yeah, so yeah, so that'll be out soon. And then I have another song called Evil that is definitely a hundred percent coming out on Halloween. I don't have to wait for licenses because that's a, an original song. That one's more of like a industrial. Uh, someone said like Nine Inch Nails style sounding track. Cool. Uh, so that yeah, that'll be out on Halloween. Nice. I wanted to ask too, Jason, being in Atlanta, or around Atlanta, have you performed with Josh Ferguson? I have not. Uh, maybe that is who uh, I do follow his Facebook page. Uh, that might have been how I found out about y'all show. Uh, was following his page. I, I can't recall if it was him or Charlie or somebody. Could, could have been. Uh, have yeah, not, have, we're. Uh, I'm also a friend of Charlie's. So yeah. 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 I saw that. Uh, I, so. So I, I haven't had the opportunity. We were going to play uh, <coughs> a little streaming event with this other guy uh, from a band called Feast for Eyes, Zach. Uh, and uh, I guess Josh had a show pop up. And Josh is a working musician, from my understanding. Like, it's the only thing he does yes. for money. Yes. So he, he had to kind of take that okay. uh, opportunity. And he, he couldn't do the little streaming show that we had planned uh, for Zach's uh, birthday. Um, so, unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to meet Josh or play with him. But I do I do follow his page and cool. see his antics and stuff on, uh, <laughs> on Facebook, which yeah. is cool. Um, but, man. yeah, maybe in the future I'll, I'll have the opportunity to play a show with Josh. And, and that should be really fun. Yeah, Charlie, too. I'd like to play a show with Charlie. Yeah. I think they're both different, completely different genres. Yes. Yeah, Charlie seems do. more classical country where Josh is a little... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain Josh. Like uh, He's like an indie, indie pop. Yes. Indie pop, yeah. And yeah. where you go uh, a total different way. Like, 
Yeah, some type of a collab uh, between whatever, you all. Some type of folk, I yes. guess. Dark folk is what I do. Yeah, I almost a mariachi <laughs> like industrial folk. Yeah, yeah, like uh, it would be cool. It'd be cool to see something between all you guys. And, and if you guys can't get anything, maybe we can try to have you and Josh on at the same time. That would be that be cool. Pretty cool too. Yes. Oh yeah, that would be cool. I, I'd get to. Uh, chop it up with josh because uh, I, I think the most the furthest i've actually gone is maybe like facebook messages or comments and stuff like that i haven't had the opportunity so i'll message cool. him right now i'll be like fucking call jason right now <laughs> you son of a bitch josh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah if he's watching uh yeah give him a call yeah <laughs> no him, he's a great guy <laughs> absolutely jason yeah. thank you so much for talking to us where can everybody find you uh, so, uh, depending on what kind of content you're looking for, uh, if you're looking for music, I'm on any of the streaming platforms. You just uh, type uh, Jason Fountain or Fontaine was how you might want to. That's how they pronounce it in Latin America, Fontaine. Fontaine. Um, but <laughs> but Jason Fountain is easiest way to because spelled like a fountain, like a water fountain. Yeah. And you can also find on YouTube. Uh, and then if you want to come on Facebook, you can also type Jason Fountain. And uh, on Facebook and Instagram, you might even find some other stuff that's a little different from music. Uh, uh, I'll just post funny stuff and pictures. Uh, uh, on on Instagram, it's Jason Fountain underscore official is my handle on Instagram. And on Facebook, you just have to type uh, Jason Fountain, and uh, you, I'll pop up. I'll be like probably the first one that pops up. Um, and then you can also find me on TikTok if you want to see stupid shit that I do on there. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Jason Gunpoint. Uh, I don't do a lot on TikTok. And, Jason Gunpoint. Uh, yeah. I've been doing I've been doing like Spanish uh, TikToks lately, like jokes in Spanish. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, what was your Christmas fun. song? Uh, was it the AR-15? Or uh, that song oh, was great. That that song was fun. And almost, Charlie did did the video for that actually. Oh, okay. Um, it was almost like a, a satire. That song. Yeah, just... someone said that sounded like Marilyn Manson playing country Christmas music or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy, uh, crazy. Yeah, the video, the video was really funny. Yes. Uh, the elf getting shot by Santa. That song got me uh, shadow banned on TikTok for a while. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, and there's a YouTuber. Uh, I met him in Atlanta. Uh, He's from Georgia, who shared it on his Instagram, uh, Iraq Veteran 8888. Uh, he's a big gun channel, huge gun channel on YouTube, probably like the third biggest one. Uh, but he shared it on his Instagram, and so that was a lot of fun. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully can top last Christmas. Uh, I don't know how. That was, that was really fun doing that i think i'm gonna sing about this being the last christmas ever and go through everything we've been through this year it's gonna be i feel yeah. like it's gonna i feel like it's gonna end like an, a minute after christmas this year this yeah is gonna, at, this at, is the end at, of it. at least or while we're counting down to the new year just right <laughs> like five four three two one. done one doesn't happen yet so, jason we gotta wrap this up but i gotta ask is it so do you prefer Jason Fountain or Jason Fontaine? Ah. Okay, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think everyone else prefers Fontaine because it sounds cooler. Uh, <laughs> me, I'm not really particular about it. So You uh, intended it to be Fountain. 
Yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think it was originally Fontaine before it was anglicized and <laughs> went in, like several centuries ago. Yeah, Ellis <laughs> Island will fuck us up. That's all we know. That's all <laughs> but, we know. but Fontaine is fine, uh, but it's spelled like fountain. Uh, that's all people should know. Cool. <laughs> all right. That's all they Jason need to know Fallon. to be able to find me. Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Jason. Thank it's you. been awesome talking to you, dude. All right. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks you for having me on. No problem. Thank you. We'll definitely have to do all it right. again. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Later, dude. Oh, my God. I wish we could suck on each other. I want to suck on you, too. I'm going to suck you so hard. Suck me. Can we do this? Are are we allowed to do this? I don't care. I just want you. Fuck all of this. Let's just get the hell out of here and be whatever the fuck we want. That's evolution. That's progress. I want a family. Can we have a family? Yeah. I'm more alive than I've ever been! Oh!